0: The merry-go-round was running, yes, but it was running backward. The small calliope inside the carousel machinery snapped its nervous, stallion-shivering drums, clashed its harvest moon cymbals, toothed its castanets, and throatily choked and sobbed its reeds, whistles, and baroque flutes. Ray Bradbury, something wicked this way comes. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie.
1: And I'm your other host, Rachel. Come one, come all, step right up, don't be shy. Come see the bearded woman, the fearless fire eater, and the mystic psychic. Today we are recommending carnival horror on this episode of Books in the Freezer.
0: This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks, so if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite, Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash booksinthefreezer. Happy listening!
1: So before we get into our main episode topic, do you want to start by giving our listeners some quick reminders about our upcoming plans, Stephanie?
0: I can definitely do that. So Books in the Freezer is turning a year old this October. And so to celebrate, we are doing a two-week readathon. It'll start on Monday, October 1st to Sunday, October 14th. It'll be five challenges over the course of two weeks. And so just real quick, that includes reading a book by a female author, a book by or featuring a person of color or a queer person, a book mentioned on the podcast, a book with a movie adaptation and an anthology or short story collection we are also doing one of those monthly instagram challenges with a prompt for every day for the month of october
1: i am so excited for all of this i just filmed my tbr for my youtube channel for the readathon And of course, I now immediately want to change every book that I picked. (laughs) Does that happen to you that like, as soon as you commit to something, you're suddenly like, no, no, I want to read this instead?
0: That happens to me a lot. Well, on my Instagram, I'll do like, pick my TBR between this book and this book. And then I'll notice that the book that's getting the most votes is not the book I want to read. Like before I did the vote, I had no idea which book I wanted to read. And then your true feelings come out. (laughs) I know, I'm like, oh no, I, I don't want to read that one. <laughs>
1: Maybe it's that assigned reading issue? Like as soon as someone tells me I have to read a book, like for school or whatnot, I suddenly want to read it so much less. So even if I'm assigning it to myself, I'm suddenly like, oh, I, I have to read this this October, but I'm actually pretty excited for my books. It's just hard to commit to only like five. Like I keep wanting to be like, oh, and this book and this book, but I have to be realistic.
0: Also, you are way ahead of me. I filmed my video with the announcement Announcement, but I was going to film like a separate video with my TBR. And I mentally know what books I'm going to pick, but I have nowhere near filmed it.
1: Yeah, I think I'm breaking all the illusion. I pre-filmed so much in my channel. And you know me from the podcast. Like whenever we're planning this, I'm always like, well, what episode are we recording like three months from now? I want to start reading for it. So you <laughs> yeah. put up with a lot of my, oh, what's the word for it? What's the polite word
0: for it? Type A tendencies. Yes, <laughs> let's go with that. That is what helps the podcast run. So it's... <laughs> (laughs) It's totally fine. I am like way too laid back, so it it works out.
1: (laughs) You balance me out. So getting into the actual topic, I normally start just about every episode with gushing about how crazy excited I am to talk about like possession or vampires or whatever is on the go. But I'll be honest, I actually struggled with this topic a little bit because Carnival Horror is not something I had any experience reading before we decided to do this topic. I realized that I just never read a book on the subject. And in fact, I'm not totally sure if I've been to a proper carnival. So we'll get into that, but let's maybe start with you. Have you been to like a carnival yourself?
0: I think when I was little, we went a few times. Recently, I've been going to a lot of like fairs, which I think are pretty similar. Have you gone to a fair?
1: No, I don't think so. Isn't it all like pie eating contests and like seeing which like pig is the biggest? I have these really folksy idea of what a fair would be.
0: I mean, there's elements of that, but there's also like the rides that get put up and like the giant Ferris wheels and, you know, popcorn and french fry stands and all that. We went to a fair when I went to go visit my husband's family in Michigan and we were looking at all the animals and like the pigs and the goats from like the 4-H kids that were there locally. You guys have 4-H in Canada, right?
1: We do. So you get these like really hardcore like town kids that get like really excited about like tying really good knots and all this. I was never in it myself, you can tell. Like I did grow up in (laughs) like a mid-sized Canadian city. I've only now moved to like the countryside where like my husband's students are really into cows and just like really excited about like reading cow books. So that's become
0: (laughs) my life. Well, when we were there, I have never felt like such city folk. Like I'm like, oh, these are like country people like I am a city person like I don't even know how to touch a horse (laughs) animals creep me out like farm animals horses are too big I am terrified of horses they have giant eyes on the side of their heads and they just give me the creeps and they're just so big like and they're so easily spooked I'm just very nervous around horses and goats goats are creepy because they have weird sideways pupils and I saw the witch and there was a creepy goat in that and so I'm just also like I'm watching them
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure you sound like the biggest city person right now I hope we have some listeners that are from <laughs> small towns or farms so that they can like properly mock us afterwards I'll admit I don't mind horses so much I did grow up riding them a little bit and it helps being like western Canada like while I haven't been to lots of like yeah fair events like why can't we do an episode on rodeo horror like I have gone to so many rodeos and seen the different events the barrel riding the rodeo clowns seeing everyone getting bucked off of the bulls like I love all that stuff why can't that be a subgenre of
0: horror well there's rodeo clowns and clowns are in carnival horror so maybe there'll be some crossover
1: Somebody write this. Write me the like Western (laughs) carnival crossover that I so desire.
0: The one thing I do love about fairs though is the food.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why am I not surprised? That's your favorite part.
0: (laughs) Like the funnel cakes and corn dogs and giant turkey legs. I mean, I'm sure in Canada, you guys are probably a little more health conscious and you guys probably don't sell like fried sticks of butter.
1: (laughs) Is that a real thing? I wasn't sure if you were joking when you said that to me earlier. Does that exist?
0: I am pretty sure that's a real thing. Oh, gosh. I don't know who's buying that. I think it's just one of those things like we can. So why not? Fried Oreos.
1: Yeah, I've seen the deep fries like Mars bars. The other thing I love is like elephant ears. Do you guys have those? Yeah. Or the donuts. That's
0: the one thing. Like, oh my gosh, there's like sugar donuts. Oh yeah, those are really good. There's uh, Amish donuts here at like the fair up the road.
1: Yeah, before recording this, I told you that I hadn't been to any fairs or any carnivals. I was like, how are we going to do this episode? I've never been to a carnival. But then I actually started thinking about it, and I guess I have, like as a child, I have been to events that I think would be called carnivals in the States, and I almost think it might just be a wording difference, not to bring up all the international differences again. But what I think of as a carnival is maybe more what you think of like a fair but I guess when you think about like the definitions of like amusement parks and carnivals they're somewhat the same thing the difference is that amusement parks are set in one place and don't move while carnivals move from city to city or place to place but they both have rides and games so I technically have gone to a carnival because there was an amusement park that would come through the city I grew up in and I did go there a bit as a child I never went on the rides but clearly I know about the food so I just remember going to them and eating i'm not sure why that's all i did but i don't remember doing any of the games because all the things i think about carnivals always have to do with the games and you know the carnies telling you to like step right up and get your fortune told and just trying to you know shoot all the ducks or any of those kind of classic carnival games i don't know if they were actually there or if i just ignored them because i was eating the whole time
0: (laughs) just getting your elephant ear fix
1: pretty much i think i went there ate so many carbs and went home and that was about it. My thing was that, surprise surprise, I was always super sick whenever I would try to go on rides. Like I get sick on regular swing sets. So that's basically why I just go to the carnival and like eat and go home. I feel like we spend way too much of this podcast discussing my weak stomach, so I never really got to experience those aspects of an amusement park. Like, were you someone who was like a thrill seeker as a kid? I'm guessing not based off our other conversations. Like, you go on roller coasters.
0: I did as a kid because of peer pressure (laughs) and because I did have like a fear of missing out on like the fun I was the the friend in the group that had to be like pushed by other friends to go on rides. I was tricked on many a ride by friends who just told me that they just wanted me to wait in line with them and then I was pushed onto a ride and held down and strapped in. Your friends are terrible people. (laughs) (laughs) But as I've gotten older, I have a lot more motion sickness. I know I sound like an old woman. Oh, I'm right there with you. (laughs) I have motion sickness. My husband and I went to a fair when we visited his parents last time two years ago and we went just like on one of those like swing rides and I was dizzy the rest of the day I was holding on to buildings walking around to keep myself up
1: (laughs) yeah I think your days of thrill-seeking are done not that they were ever there to begin with I suppose (laughs) and then the other thing that comes up is circuses I feel like they kind of get put together with carnivals but they're a little bit different like a circus is more of a company of performers that can Mm -hmm. include clowns acrobats trapeze artists and sometimes trained animals and they also move around like a traveling carnival from place Mm -hmm. to place and for real I have never been to a circus and I'm so jealous I still want to go to one but now I just feel dumb going as an adult by myself so now that I've established myself as definitely not an expert on carnival horror I'm going to turn this question over to you and ask do you have a guess why so many horror stories are set around carnivals I feel like it's a pretty popular theme we did have a lot of options to choose from when we were picking out books for this episode
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. Probably the most obvious one would be clowns i'm gonna say they're just very unsettling do you have a clown thing
1: i don't really i don't mind them too much i'm glad you point out clowns though because i thought that this carnival horror would be all clowns all the time but all three of my books don't have a single clown in them and that's probably my biggest pet peeve is i came here for the clowns i don't have a clown (laughs) thing but i want to be scared by them other than of course reading it by stephen king i have never read another book with clowns in it so rant over continue (laughs)
0: Oh, man. I was going to say, and famously, you are not a fan of It by Stephen King.
1: No. I'm seeing a trend here now that I'm talking about this. It's <laughs> this like therapy for me.
0: I think also carnivals and circuses are supposed to be like fun and family friendly, and there's a lot that's geared towards children, a lot of bright, flashy lights, music. So I think there's a lot that caters to children, but I think as adults, we Kind of wonder about people that choose to live a transient type of lifestyle like that. And there is something that is, you know, a money making device. It's something that's propped up only with the motivation of making money. And there's so many elements of it that attack your senses. Like the lights are bright, like the music is loud. You can smell the fried food and the powdered sugar, and all the tastes are very memorable. And there's like the fun house and mirrors. And then going through the history of it, there is, of course, like the freak show side of it that was in the very early like circuses and carnivals with the bearded women and lizard men. Yeah,
1: I feel like you don't see that in modern carnivals, but there is such a twisted side to like traditional carnival stories and the real life supposed horrors that you're going to be able to see at these shows. So when I look at it, it's like, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like even trapeze artists and whatnot, like they're all moving their bodies in these like unconventional ways and like clowns are like adults that dress up in weird makeup. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I do see why people are bothered by clowns. Like in any other setting, like take a lot of the elements of a carnival and take them into any other situation. You would just be like calling the cops and being like, there is these weird people hanging around my children (laughs) trying to like entertain them. Like, that is when you move along.
0: I do have a clown thing. Clowns are weird and creepy. And I'm just suspicious of people that like try to make you laugh as their like job. I don't know. I'm also like really wary of like street magicians, you know, just (laughs) I have a lot of
1: things. Let's add mimes to that list. I actually have more of a thing for mimes. They bother me, they don't talk.
0: Yeah, that is weird.
1: So, kind of tying into it, but what are some of the trends that you saw when you were reading the different carnival horror books?
0: Unlike you, I did run into some clown stuff in my reading. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of it, it dealt with kind of the transient nature of it that I was mentioning earlier. How about you?
1: Yeah, along those lines, I noticed that a lot of them involve very like mysterious, like you mentioned, like traveling circus or carnival. So no one's heard of it before. It just shows up overnight, out of nowhere, and. I don't know if you've got this, but pretty much all my stories were set in the past. And so there was a lot of nostalgia about exploring carnivals as a child, which makes sense because so much of the experience is targeted at children. And I think one of the advantages of putting this in the past is kind of like we mentioned above with the freak show is that carnivals were a lot less, let's say, politically correct or PC than they are today. And so you would never see a carnival unless I'm wrong, but I don't think you would see a modern carnival that is average. Advertising like a bearded woman and creating entertainment around someone who is a small person. You just don't see those things in the modern day. But years ago, just anything went, there was no such thing as being offensive to these marginalized groups. And so I think you get a lot more freedom when you go back in time, especially if you want to explore those more horrific aspects of it. And so with that older setting, I also noticed that these stories really were about a coming of age so allowing the characters to grow up and just seeing them mature and move into adulthood through the story still being horror but also definitely having that coming of age element and then moving beyond books i was wondering are there any like creepy carnival movies that you're aware of
0: one that i'm aware of i have not seen is called alleluia the devil's carnival which is a horror musical
1: Ooh, i didn't know those existed
0: Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. I just didn't get around to watching it. TV, though, the fourth season of American Horror Story was American Horror Story Freak Show. And it, you know, was a carnival with a freak show that traveled along. That sounds good. Yeah, that was a good season. That was actually the last season I watched of the show because I could not get into the season after that one, which I think was Hotel. And I don't know if you watch this or if anybody watched this, but there's a 90s animated dinosaur movie called We're Back.
1: Oh, yes, I totally have seen that. There's a carnival in that?
0: Yes, Professor Screw Eyes has like the dark carnival where he tries to scare everyone and he brings out stuff and tries to like suck the fear out of the audience with like his invention (laughs) oh
1: I can't believe you even thought of that movie
0: and then the crows come that was scary at the end
1: you have a much better memory than me I haven't (laughs) thought about that movie since I was about six or whenever it
0: came out it came to me. I was like, Oh yeah, I completely blocked out that I had watched that ever.
1: The only one I could think of was Zombieland, which is more of like a horror comedy about a group of people who band together to cross America in the midst of a zombie apocalypse. And Mm -hmm. I just remember being like very ridiculous, not scary at all. And along the way, as the title suggests, they end up in an amusement park, and I just remember being like ridiculous and over the top. So a little bit more Mm -hmm. on the amusement side than the carnival side. But that was the only one that I could think of that I've watched.
0: We had friends over and we watched that the night before I got married. All my bridesmaids came over and like slept over at my house. And that that was what I watched my last night as a single woman.
1: That is so you. Anyone else would watch like a (laughs) cheesy like comedy or like romantic movie, you know, like Sleepless in Seattle. But nope, Stephanie watched Zombieland. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love it.
0: So we did extend this out to people in our Patreon group chat and ask them what they find scary about carnivals. And a friend of the show, Laura, said, the celebration of the unnatural, the constant mentions of death and phrases like death defying. The plodding calliope music, crying children, dropped cotton candy and peanuts, the despair, knowing that these people and animals live this nomadic lifestyle and never stay anywhere long enough to get comfortable. Also learned that it used to be, or maybe still is, protocol to play Stars and Stripes Forever if anything terrible happens and that the place should be evacuated. That sounds terrible. That is the stuff of my nightmares. Uh, no. I never want to go to a carnival oh, isn't that Robin from Batman? That's his origin story. Like the Flying Graysons. His family was trapeze artists and then they died and Batman took him in.
1: Is that actually? Yeah. You are full of like so many random (laughs) facts and nuggets that I've never heard of. I think I might live in a box. You always know all these like really interesting like pop culture facts that I've never heard of. Or you're just making it up and I'm naively going
0: along with it. They just have no use anywhere in the real world. So So they end up on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> they end up here. Mac also said, I read something wicked this way comes as a child, and it made me always suspect something sinister of a community of people that comprise of any circus or carnival. I don't know if the concept of traveling circuses or carnivals are outdated, but people or groups of people who are constantly traveling occupy a liminal space that lends itself well to horror. Do you agree with that statement?
1: I definitely do. And that actually leads in really well because that happens to be the first book I wanted to talk about for recommendations. So I decided to read Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury, which I'd never read before. Actually, the only thing I'd ever read by him was his dystopian novel Fahrenheit 451, which I think is brilliant. I love it. It's one of my favorite classics, and that's coming from someone who honestly isn't the biggest classics reader. The general synopsis is that after midnight on a chilly October night, a strange carnival called Cougar and Dark's Pandemonium Shadow Show rolls into Greentown, Illinois, and two curious boys go to investigate the carnival and learn the horrific nature of the show. It's pretty iconic. I think most people are in some way aware of it. A lot of people have read it already, so it was interesting checking out for the first time. Like some of the trends I talked about above this one is very heavy on the coming of age elements. It feels so nostalgic even though I of course didn't grow up in that era and a funny story that I actually listened to this on audio and I ended up picking out one that had an amazing production value. It had like a full cast narration. It was produced with like voices and they had expressions. Sometimes I'm not a fan when it's like really produced, but there was like sound effects and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And bonus, it's only one and a half hours long. I'm going to get through this so fast and be ready for the podcast. And eventually I realized, oh, this is probably a bridge. So sure enough, I looked, there was a Another option for the audio on Hoopla which was nine hours long and I was like that sounds less abridged so technically as we're recording this I have not quite finished the full proper recording because I had to wait for my Hoopla to renew itself before I could check out the longer version <laughs> so I did the reader sin and I read the abridged version first which is really good but Again, incomplete, and it goes against my better judgments, so I'm confessing it here. In terms of scariness, I would call this one room temperature. I don't think it's particularly scary to my taste, but it definitely has a good atmosphere and just sets the mood. Because it's set in October, this would be perfect to read, because as you're listening, you should be just at the end of September, so you still have time to pick this up for the Halloween October season. And that, again, is Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury.
0: I have yet to read that, but that seems like such an iconic choice for this subgenre.
1: I know. As soon as we talked about it, this is one I had to put in. The only book that I wanted to include in this episode that we really weren't able to was Geek Love because I could not get my hands on that book anywhere. I do rely on my library a lot. Admittedly, I can't buy all the books I want to for the podcast, but I couldn't even get a cheap Kindle version. I could only get the paperback like shipped in from the States for like 15, 20 bucks and I just wasn't ready to commit. So that's one that I feel like is such an icon of the genre, the other one that people would expect to see in this episode, which unfortunately, won't be making an appearance. So I just wanted to at least mention it here.
0: Wow, that's crazy. I have a copy of it that I'm pretty sure I bought at a library sale. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have told you that here.
1: Yeah, I don't want to (laughs) know.
0: I mean, it was very hard to get.
1: (laughs) Sure, sure. Nice try. (laughs) I see through your lies.
0: I'm sorry. I would never lie. Never. Anyway, this is the book I'm going to talk about is The Rib From Which I Remake the World by Ed Kurtz, which is quite a title. And this book takes place in an Arkansas small town during World War II. There's a man named Jojo who works as a hotel detective. There's a strange group of people, like a carnival, that come into town showing a quote, hygiene picture. They start inviting select group of people to a special midnight show and what those people will see will never leave them the same again. There's a deadly mix of devilish carnival and black magic.
1: Ooh, that sounds dark.
0: It is pretty dark. I assume you want to know what a hygiene picture is because I did not know. Oh, yes. When I read this. And in the book, it's like kind of pro-abstinence propaganda. It's like scaring kids out of having premarital sex I mean this is like the 40s in the (laughs) south and they have like two separate showings like it's one showing for men and like one showing for women and then from there these people start inviting people to come back for this midnight show I will say this book goes in directions that you don't expect it to go but I really enjoyed it I thought it had a really great writing style it was very character focused you get to know a lot about Jojo and he's a very interesting character and it Kind of has this like gritty noir feeling to it while also having all these like dark supernatural things happening. And I really enjoyed it, but I would put this in at least the fridge. The first like big act of violence that happens is that there's a man at the hotel and spontaneously his arms are ripped from his body. So I will say based on that, like, I would say at least fridge. Yeah,
1: I'd say that sounds like a sound rating.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like all the people are coming in and, you know, the chief of police is like opening the door and like, oh my.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think dismembered limbs automatically gets a fridge minimum level.
0: <laughs> so possibly freezer, but at least fridge.
1: My next pick is Full Tilt by Neil Schusterman, who is a pretty well-known YA author I've previously read his series, The Unwind, which I actually think is incredibly creepy. Technically, you would consider it to be science fiction dystopian. But I do recommend that one as well if you're just looking for more creepy stories because that one creeped me out so badly. So when I found out he had done a story that was kind of around carnivals and amusement parks, I really wanted to check it out. So this story is about two brothers. There's 16-year-old Blake who is responsible and cautious while his younger brother Quinn is a fearless thrill seeker. So when they receive an invitation to a mysterious carnival, Quinn immediately runs full into the carnival without thinking, forcing his older brother to follow after him. However, once they get inside, they learn that this phantom carnival is actually a trap. And of course, the only way to escape is to ride seven sinister amusement park rides before dawn. And if they don't, their souls will be trapped inside the carnival forever. And this is a really fast-paced, action-packed story. It's very short, so it doesn't have lots of character development, but I'd say that if you enjoy a YA story, this one to pick up, it definitely did feel like YA. It had a lot of the tropes of the genre, which I don't necessarily love but I do think it has kind of that fun energy those stories that you just fly through and I didn't find it particularly scary I ended up giving it a room temperature rating I was hoping to be a little bit more scared by the rides, but there definitely is an intensity to it and I definitely related a lot to the older brother who was like super cautious being like whoa whoa I don't want to go on this roller coaster this looks too scary this looks dangerous and that's me I'm the most cautious boring person you'll meet in real life so I did enjoy the book at the time, but definitely you have to be okay with more of a YA style of horror because this one really did feel like a young adult novel. And that again is Full Tilt by Neil Shusterman.
0: That sounds really good. And I actually read a zombie anthology and Neil Shusterman wrote one of the stories in it about how he was capturing zombies to kind of put on a carnival like they were the attraction. Oh, really? So he must just really like circuses and like carnivals. (laughs) So the next book I want to talk about is Fantastic Land by Mike Bakovich. This is a cheat because technically it's set in an amusement park instead of a carnival slash circus slash fair. So this is about a Fictional amusement park named Fantastic Land in Florida and Fantastic Land is supposed to in the story rival Disney World in size and the amusement park itself is separated into several different parks within Fantastic Land. And so this book is basically a series of interviews that follows the employees that were stuck at the amusement park for 27 days during a hurricane and what happened was like Lord of the Flies Level madness. And so like the first chapter is like telling you that by the time the media got there, there's like dead bodies hanging from the signs like people had been murdered and like sacrificed and it was basically separated into tribes and it was just like crazy. And so you're reading the story. And although you're getting people's interviews, it is pretty much going chronologically. So like one person talks about like what happened at the beginning and then the next person talks about to the next day, but you're getting different points of view from people. And they talk about basically why they ended up separating into their different factions and so people that worked at the pirate cove you know kind of took on this pirate persona (laughs) and there's a circus section and they were just the people were scared of them they were crazy they had like decapitated heads on sticks outside of their post and the girls that ran the retail were also like these kind of like ninjas like it's a little over the top and crazy but it is so fun So when the book opens, obviously, you know, the outcome, you know, how many people died. I will say you do have to suspend your disbelief a little bit that people are going to act this way immediately. At least that's what I think. And there's someone at the end that kind of tries to justify why they behave that way. And it just it that explanation didn't quite work for me. But it was so funny just to see all of the different ways that these people acted and everything that happened. It was just so fun. I like flew through this book.
1: That sounds crazy entertaining.
0: It was. It was so fun. So there's some eerie scenes. Like one of the people escapes to a hotel and he is being hunted by people wearing like pig masks and they start like breaking in the doors and he has to keep changing rooms and like try to avoid them. It had like creepy scenes. And because of the violence, I would put this in the fridge.
1: I might have to check that one out.
0: I think you would like it.
1: That sounds fun. I feel like Disney World in general... Like, is almost creepy in itself. So anything that's kind of a fake Disneyland sounds really fun.
0: Mm -hmm. It also
1: reminds me of a movie that I haven't seen yet, but want to. Have you heard of Escape from Tomorrow? No. So basically, it's like this whole horror movie that is filmed and set in Disney World and so there's this whole plot that takes place but what's kind of unique about it is that they didn't have permission at all to film this horror movie in (laughs) Disney World so they basically use like guerrilla filming tactics to like sneak around cameras and film this whole horrific movie and now I guess there's like tons of like legal issues because Disney is not very generous with their intellectual property let's say but (laughs) when we were mentioning this i was like oh like i want to see it that's kind of another twisted take on like the disney amusement park franchise and that's one that just popped into my mind as you were talking about this
0: yeah that sounds fun is it even available anywhere i think so
1: i remember seeing it available on shutter and that should okay. be at least in the U.S. and Canada. So you can get it. Despite the legal issues, they're somehow pushing ahead. So it is possible to check it out. And I've heard really good things online about it. So my last pick is The Traveling Vampire Show by Richard Lehman. And this is set in the summer of 1963 in a small town called Granville, where a group of teenagers find a flyer for a one night only performance of the traveling vampire show. This show features Valeria, who was advertised to be the only known vampire held in captivity. Supposedly during her performance, this gorgeous vampire stalks around the audience, sinks her teeth into volunteers and drinks their blood. So, of course, the teenagers want to check out the show for themselves, but this is difficult to do because the show is technically adult-only, and it also takes place at midnight after their curfew. So, most of the book is about them trying to scheme how to get in and discover the true nature of Valeria. And right off the bat, I've got to say, Layman made Valeria so intriguing. I basically spent the entire book wanting to see her for myself and find out if she actually was a vampire, and I'm not going to say more than that on her... I really relate to the teenagers wanting to know what was going on and just being left out and in the dark. And then on the flip side, a lot of my frustration came from the fact that a lot of this book is also a coming of age story. So it deals a lot with the teenagers. There's a romance between two of them. And honestly, I was like, get on with it. I want the show and the vampire right now. So I was very impatient reading it, which might be my own fault and not the book. It wasn't probably my favorite horror book that I recommend on the podcast but I definitely want to check out more of layman's work I don't think this is one of his most popular ones I never hear people talk about it outside of the references to carnival horror so I do want to check out more of his more popular books like I've heard great things about endless night so scariness rating I'll put this as room temperature but it was still very intriguing and a book that makes me that frustrated I'm being like bring on the vampire I've got to see what is actually happening at that show Still, I've got to give props to it. And that, of course, is The Traveling Vampire Show by Richard Lehman.
0: Yeah, he's a big name and we haven't mentioned anything by him on the show, really.
1: Oh, I know. There's always those authors who have written so many horror books. And I'm always surprised that just now at the kind of one year mark, we're finally getting to talk about one of their books.
0: Well, my final pick is an anthology. It is Nightmare Carnival and it's edited by Ellen Dotlow. So this is an anthology that features stories set in carnival slash circus settings. Some of them feature evil carnivals or clowns. Yay. Yeah. It was really funny because I posted a picture of this when I bought it and I tagged Ellen Datlow in the picture and she commented because on the cover there's like a Ferris wheel and a big top and there's like a dead clown with like a little boy standing over the dead clown and she commented and said like I told them not to put a dead clown on the cover or a clown on the cover and they did not listen to me. (laughs) So (laughs) That's so funny. In case you wanted that background information but there were some pretty big names in this anthology. One of my favorite stories was by Stephen Graham because of course, I feel like he always writes like amazing short stories in these collections. But his story was called The Darkest Part. And it's about a group of friends that get together and decide that what they want to do is to kill a clown. So it's about them like getting this clown and how they kill him and basically the aftermath of it. This one got really dark. Like I was at the end, I had to put the book down and think like, wow, that was that went there. That was Dark. <laughs> <laughs> And there was a story by Robert Shearman, which I've seen his name around. I haven't read anything by him. And I know he does kind of weird fiction. And he had a story in here called The Popping Fields, which was just really odd. It was about this man and his daughter. And they're not really a part of the carnival, but they travel behind the carnival and kind of get people who are on their way to the carnival by making like balloon animals. That's their thing. But the man, and makes these very strange and odd balloon animals that aren't really, animals are just these really unnatural contraptions. And then one day he's leaving his trailer and ends up in a world where these balloon animals are real. Oh. Yeah, so it's just really odd. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, as you do. Oh, there was a really good one called And the Carnival Leaves Town by A.C. Wise. And this was more of a crime one where a cop is investigating the case of a missing family and he starts receiving weird videotapes and he starts seeing other cases of missing family and realizing that these people went missing while the circus was in town and just like how he falls deep into this whole investigating all of this it was pretty good
1: So let's talk about some chilling obsessions. And I am really excited by mine, although I realize it's not like under-hyped and no, it's not brand new, but I finally, finally got to watch it. So I'm gonna gush about it because if we're talking about obsessions, I'm obsessed. And that is The Quiet Place movie. finally got to see it. I watched it with my husband and it was so good. I think just about everyone knows the premise. It's a post-apocalyptic horror film about a family that needs to survive in the aftermath of some kind of alien attack. And in order to do so, they have to be absolutely quiet because if they make any noise, those creatures or monsters just hear them and attack. And of course, it stars John Krasinski, who is a.k.a. Jim from The Office and his real-life wife, Emily Blend and I thought the on-screen chemistry was phenomenal. I remember that was something you were kind of speculating about before the movie even came out but they just nailed it. It's very much like a family film. I mean yes it's horror but it's so much about the family trying to come together and hold their relationships together and so I really think it just read well on the screen because you could tell how deeply in love they were. So good. I also really like the fact that the daughter was deaf, which added a layer of complication to the story because you couldn't necessarily hear when something was making noise because how do you really communicate that to someone who doesn't necessarily hear sound? So I just thought it was like so fascinating. Loved it, loved it, loved it. The funny thing is though, my husband did not love it so much and his complaint is what I find so funny is he liked it, but he said that he was annoyed that there was no explanation for the source of the apocalypse. Which takes me back to our post-apocalyptic episode. And remember how P.T. was saying the difference between like horror readers and sci-fi readers? Mm -hmm. And that I remember him mentioning a book that had a lot of critical reviews because the fact that the book didn't explain the source of it. And so I'm like, that's my husband. And bang on, he is so much more of a science fiction reader or in this case, like movie watcher. So he was like frustrated that you see this whole situation. He's like, well, I just want to know where the monsters came from. What's happening? I don't care about the family. I want to know like what's happening on the scope of the world. I'm like, that's not the point of the movie. So (laughs) even though he didn't like it, I'm kind of throwing his opinion right out and saying that if you are looking for a close, quiet horror movie, not a science fiction movie, this one is fantastic. I loved it. It was emotional and deep and I don't know, like I still always see Jim as Jim from The Office, but
0: I loved it. I still got to get to it. Oh, my gosh. And also, my husband is the same way, which is why I don't watch a lot of horror movies with him. We watched The Purge, and like to this day, he will still rant to me about all the inconsistencies and why that doesn't make sense on like a national scale and that this would happen what about this and what about this crime what about i'm like please stop he's like i just find it crazy that like if you legalize crime everyone's just going to be murdering everyone like what if i steal a car the next day i'm like stop it's like so the next day is it my car i'm like please just just stop
1: (laughs) why do they have to ruin everything our husbands should just go watch their own movies together and let them just sing
0: gripe about them well, speaking of horror movies, the podcast I want to recommend is one I've been listening to for a while and I've been a fan of for a while. It's called Horror Pod Class. And it's a podcast that has just really interesting discussions around horror movies and kind of the main theme of that horror movie. And it's hosted by two high school teachers who just have a big love for horror and talk about where those themes fit and how those themes are explored and kind of where they fit in our current culture. So some of their episodes are titled like The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Capitalism, The Bay and Eco-Horror, you know, The Ritual and Toxic Masculinity. And they just kind of really get into these topics and have just really interesting discussions. And I also love it because at the beginning of the episodes, they talk about what horror books they are reading at the moment. And they talk about that for like 15 minutes. And they've actually interviewed Ellen Datlow on their podcast. And that was a really interesting interview about kind of what goes into making an anthology and the choices she has to make, and kind of how she got into that. I definitely recommend that if you like hearing intelligent conversations around kind of horror films in a, like a dissection of a single film.
1: That sounds great. I think they've done an author interview with Christy DeMeester. I want to say I've listened to one of their episodes, but like so many other podcasts, I'm really, really behind and actually just getting to their regular content. Like I kind of just listened to like a one-off episode here or there, but that sounds great. I could see a lot of our listeners really getting into that. <laughs>
0: Books in the Freezer is a biweekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at booksinthefreezer at com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. You can find us on Patreon at Books in the Freezer. And a special thank you to our patrons, Laura, Liz, Devin, Sarai, Roger, Emily, Denise, Anthony, Jason, Leanne, Elizabeth, Sean, Mitch, Alicia, Christopher, David, and PT. If you're looking for a free way to support the podcast, be sure to leave us a review on a podcast app like iTunes or Stitcher. It helps people find us. We actually have two new reviews from iTunes, both five stars. Thank you guys so much. First one is titled Horror in Books by Dried on Milk. A great mashup of my two favorite things. I just found this from Ghost in the Burbs, Binging Now. Well thank you so much also guys go listen to ghost in the burbs it's really good it's a podcast about these stories that take place in massachusetts it's like a woman interviewing people that have supernatural encounters it's just a really well done show so i suggest that
1: i second that so good
0: yeah so thank you so much Liz, for giving us a shout out and here is the second five-star review titled finally a podcast for horror book lovers by shanice 822 I have been searching for what seems like years to find a good podcast that discusses horror fiction. These ladies have delivered and then some. I love all things horror, but nothing quite delivers the chills like a good horror book. These ladies present well-thought-out and research suggestions and go out of their way to find things outside the mainstream. I get so sick of seeing book lists that put zero effort into actually exploring the genre in any thoughtful way. I like that the focus is kept on books, but you'll get a few movie TV suggestions too. My to-read list is expanding too fast to keep up, and that's awesome. I'll never run out of new finds. Pro tip. Listen when you can pause to add things to your Goodreads list. Keep it coming, ladies. You have quickly risen to the top of my must-listen shows.
1: That's great to hear and for those who don't get a chance to pause always remember that you can check out all the books we mentioned on our website booksinthefreezer.com. Stephanie always takes the time to write all that out which I really appreciate so it's a good way for people like myself who aren't great at just picking up
0: names when we're talking with them so you can always look it up afterwards online. There'll be a link in the description box for the episode for that to make it easier on you. Anyway I am Stephanie you can find me on Twitter at lady underscore Ganya or on Instagram at that's what she read with two A's or on YouTube at that's what she read.
1: And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at shades underscore orange or I'm always on YouTube and Instagram at the shades of orange.
0: Join us next time for Books in the Freezer.